Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Power Your Life Radio Show with host and success doc, Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us today on Power Your Life, and it's always a pleasure to be here. I was having a great little conversation with our guest, Mark Reed, who actually can tell us so much about feeding our minds and making a Zen sandwich. Mark Reed is the host of Zen Sandwich, a podcast, and he's also a maker of traditional handmade Japanese paper called washi. He lives in Japan, and before that, Mark was an attorney, beginning his career as an assistant district attorney in New York. He's also been a professor of English at three universities in Japan and a graduate teaching assistant at Florida State University in Religious Studies. Mark Reed is also the recipient of the 2022 Radiance Award for Storytelling Excellence, awarded by 360 Nation. Bravo, Mark. And he inspires mindfulness, mindfulness humor, and a down-to-earth 21st century Zen lifestyle. Welcome, Mark Reed. How are you? I'm great. I, I don't know if I can live up to – I mean, I know I actually sent you uh, that introduction more or less, but now I'm like – I'm feeling nervous that I, I won't live up to it. <laughs> I think I've boasted too much. <laughs> Not at all. Okay, firstly, tell our listeners what is a Zen lifestyle and your host – I mean, you the host of the – Zen Sandwich, which I've had the pleasure and the honor of being on. Tell our listeners about that, and then we'll delve deep into your past and your present. <laughs> sure. Well, you honestly really were one of the best guests I've had. I, uh, I have, I've actually listened to that episode multiple times, and I got great feedback on it. So thank you again for coming on that, uh, when you did. Uh, what is Zen? Yeah, what is Zen in the 21st century? Well, you know, Zen is is actually easy to define. It just means paying attention, being mindful, and appreciating stuff. <laughs> it's kind of that simple. It's just, you know, I mean, the word mindfulness gets uh, thrown around a lot these days, but that's what it is, just realizing that every moment uh, you are in the present – and that's all you ever really have. We spend so much time living in the past. Uh, you know, I can think about I can think about like something embarrassing that happened back in high school, thirty years ago or something, and feel all embarrassed about it all over again. Why? <laughs> Why do we do stuff like that? Or I can spend twenty minutes thinking about the future. Oh, I'm, this is going to happen, or that's going to happen, and probably none of that will happen. So I, I'm just more about spending as much time as reasonably possible 
in the present. It's impossible to do it all the time, constantly, but as much as you reasonably can, realize that you are here now. You know, that's so very important because if we don't, we miss so much of the beauty of the treasures, the connection, and everything else that is in this now moment. So so I love that. That's important. So what mm-hmm. made you decide to do a podcast like that? <laughs> um, you're probably familiar with the, the Gandhi quote, uh, be the change you want to see in the world. Um, I, I wanted to be the podcast I wasn't hearing. <laughs> and so um, I lo- I've been interested in Zen and Buddhist philosophy, and I would I would find these Zen podcasts. And, I mean, it's like they would put me into a meditative sleep. And, <laughs> like, I was just bored with them. And uh, so that's why there's – that's the sandwich part of Zen sandwiches. I, I try to make it fun, entertaining, and, uh, you know, humorous when I can. And there wasn't anything like that out there. So part of it was that. I just wanted to be the Zen podcast that didn't exist. Well, it certainly is existing now <laughs> in a wonderful <laughs> way. So thank you. That's great. It, it really, and we need, you know, we need that focus. Um, years, years ago, I was at attending some very boring seminar and whatever and I'm thinking get me out of here so I I love what you do on your show I love your people that you bring on and also your philosophy so speaking of philosophy let's let's delve back a little bit into your past you're in Japan how did you do that how did you get there why did you get there that is uh, a long story but I mean, the short answer of why I'm here now is a woman. <laughs> there, that's the short answer. Um, yeah, I'm married to a Japanese uh, woman, but there, it, there's more details uh, than that. I, it started way back when I was a kid. I was interested, you know, like a lot of boys growing up in the States, I was interested in martial arts. And so I, I studied judo and aikido just because that was what was available to me. And... Um, you know, when you're learning that stuff, you, that's just beginning to learn anything about Japanese culture. And when you're doing reps, when you practice, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but we would count in Japanese instead of English. So instead of one, two, oh, three, wow. each and each. Yeah, but that's all. I mean, that's what's crazy about it. It's like that, nothing else. Everything else is in English. But, uh, but Or we would learn the Japanese names of some of the throws that we would do, like in judo. And uh right. But I didn't even really – at that time, I didn't even know what I was saying. Like, was, oh, you're learning shihonage. And so that I now know that literally means like a four-corner throw, but I didn't know it at the time. I'm just learning syllable, or, yeah, syllables to words. I don't even know the meaning. My point is I get to college, and I went to the University of Alabama, a large university. You know, you could minor in Swahili if you wanted. And so I see Japanese is on the menu. And I'm like, oh, I can count to ten. Ah, I'm minor in Japanese. <laughs> like a dumb reason. Yeah, all I could do was count to ten. And uh, but I stuck with it. And I, you know, my interest in the culture and coming here, it just grew and grew. And so it was my first job out of college was teaching English at junior high schools. And then I came and went several times. And I came back in 2019. I'm probably here for good for 
the rest of my life now. How did you meet your partner? Did was it by going to Japan or or what was that yeah. about? I met her in uh in 2000. I was here. I lived in Tokyo in 2004 and 2005. I taught at uh Kanagawa University and at uh Tokyo uh Rikidai or Tokyo University of Science. And I was teaching English there and she worked for she was kind of my boss but not really. She wasn't directly over me, but she was more important than I was. And uh we worked she worked for the company that basically placed uh English teachers at universities. And so through that company, I met her. And we dated. That was back in 2004 and 05. But then I left and went to law school. And um, so I didn't see her for many years. But we kept in touch throughout the years. And then in 2018, you know, my life was already going through a transition where I was I was getting out of the practice of law. And I said, hey, why don't you just come visit me in America? And meet my family, and uh, she did, and everything went splendidly. And then in early 2019, she said, "Well, why don't you come visit me in Japan?" And so I did, and I just never left. <laughs> <laughs> Has your family ever come to visit? No, my uh, mother passed away uh, about a year. I, she wasn't ill when I came over. But when I was when I came over, and she knew that I was coming over, most likely to stay, and uh, oh. and she was happy about that because she knew I was happy. But she, after I was already here and married, uh, you know, I got the news that she had pancreatic cancer, and uh, and I, you know, I I was able to go home when she passed away. But um, and that's kind of the extent of my family now my, my family's kind of I, I grew up with a tight-knit family but everyone kind of grew apart over the years and my mom was the only connection the, the, the only really strong connection I really had with my uh you know the family I grew up with I don't really talk to my aunts and uncles and it's not a it's not a bad situation it's not like we fought or anything it, it just everybody went on their own path I totally understand that. Sometimes the people that we meet, the friends that we make, become, we become closer with them, and they feel sometimes more like family because of our interests or connections. I, I can't explain it, but I, I totally understand. Yeah. So you yeah, I, left? I, Go ahead. Well, I was just going to add, uh, you know, because of that, uh, but I did grow up with a family, uh, but I don't really have any in the States anymore. You know, my Japanese family is my adopted family, and they are wonderful. They have, you know, so my wife's, we're about to go stay with them next week, actually, uh, for the holiday season here. Uh, you know, that's my mom now. I mean, nobody will ever replace my birth mother, but she's my my surrogate mom now. Right. I understand that. And that's yeah. beautiful that, that you have that. Yeah. So you left law. Why? <laughs> uh yeah how much time do we have here now um i uh yeah i will don't worry um it just never you know it's probably i probably became a lawyer i'm, I'm gonna be honest uh which i should be um i probably became a lawyer because it just was like expected of me you know when i was growing up it's like oh mark you know i did well in school you're a smart guy you should be a doctor or a lawyer 
and I, I don't, I don't like blood and guts, so I wasn't going to be a doctor. So lawyer was, and um, but I and and I don't regret it. I don't regret going to law school or the decade I spent in the practice of law. But it was I just I don't know. I got a bad taste in my mouth. I was a prosecutor first, and I saw cases that were. Um, that should not have wound up on my desk. There were some overzealous police officers who were overcharging and making up cases that there. You know, I would take them to court. I'm supposed to. Be, I was a prosecutor. I'm supposed to be on the police side of things, but I would go to court and say, uh, "Your Honor, uh, uh, we had, the the people asked that the court dismiss this case in the interest of justice or for lack of evidence." And, you know, police officers get mad at me because I'm sitting there dismissing, getting their cases dismissed. But they didn't have a case. They were they were just uh, charging people they shouldn't have. And I left that. I left criminal practice, and I went into I went back to Alabama, where I'm from, and I got a, a job at a big, swanky firm. And I was really lucky, right time, right place. And I practiced civil law. And uh, I, I worked specifically in the area of securities law. It's a big firm, so I was defending large banks and corporations and uh, and really unfair <clears throat> situations. Like I'm expecting you, one now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, a case that stands out in my mind is this: this, you know, we we were handling a lot of cases after the oh seven oh eight market crash and uh, people right. who were suing. Um, Brokers who had basically promised, you know, uh, made big promises. And there was one case that stands out to me. This, this little lady, her husband had uh, passed, and uh, you know, she got his pension, and she didn't know what to do with it. She'd never worked it in her life. And she goes to a broker. He says, "Oh, give me the money. I'll invest it for you, and you know, we'll get you a fifteen, eighteen percent return. You can live off the interest for the rest of your life." Well, a 708 happens, and she loses most of it. And then she goes, she goes to a little, you know, solo practitioner lawyer, and uh, he knows how to file a lawsuit, but he doesn't know much about securities law. And he's going up against us. There's a team of us working in securities law. There's 10, 15 of us that are all contributing to this case, and we do it. That's all we do is securities law. And you know, we got to make this little old lady seem like. It's all her fault. Stocks are risky investments. She signed the prospectus. You know, it says on there that you could lose some or all of your investment. And, you know, we make her seem like this bad person. And I just, I like to sleep well at night. And I just couldn't do that (laughs) anymore. Yeah, you have a conscience, which is, yeah, Yeah. beautiful. (laughs) That's important. I love it. So, in terms of living in Japan versus living in the United States and in Alabama, what do you see as some of the highlights and the differences that that resonate with you? That's a great question because usually that that question is couched in terms of uh, well, what's the biggest difference you see between Japan and the United States, and people expect me to answer you know, chopsticks and kimonos or taking your shoes off when you come inside or something like that. And honestly, the biggest difference is in the mentality of I versus we. And what I mean by that is, and I'm not 
let me be clear before I say what I'm about to say. I'm not um, I, I'm not saying anything negative about the United States because there's a plus and a minus to both sides of this this coin here. There's two sides to the coin. Um, but in the United States, we grow up with a very individualistic mentality. Uh, it's even it's even in our language linguistically. You know, think about the most frequently used one of the most frequently used words in the English language is I. I'm doing this. I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to go do this uh, and that and I I I. And it's uh, encouraged in the West and in America to be uh, independent and creative. Those are great things, by the way, being independent and creative. But the mentality over here is much more group think. And it's more about we and, you know, kids in junior high schools here and high schools, like every day they have cleaning time. Imagine trying to implement that in the United States. But here <laughs> they, like, clean, they clean the bathrooms together. You know, there's no janitor at a, at a junior high school or high school here because the kids and the teachers do it with them. The kids and the teachers and the principal even, you know, I mean, it, it, every day there's a 15-minute cleaning period. And everybody is wiping down the desks or sweeping the halls, you know, and there's just this group think mentality, and it's wonderful. There are some drawbacks because uh, it makes kids really shy. They don't want to stand out, so they're they're not eager to raise their hand and be, you know, to show off or anything like that. Um, so like I said, there's pluses and minuses, but that's the biggest difference, and one that I really do appreciate is a, a, a group think mentality. We're all in this together sort of thing, sort of thing. I love that. That's so important. Real. I was a, an executive director for a comprehensive program for children and youth with special needs, and I worked alongside the the, the staff, and they they were shocked. It was like nobody's ever done that before, and I can't understand that. How do you get to know people and and help and and represent who you you know them and who you if you if you don't do that so so i'm I'm so right. glad that that's important. How did you get into making Japanese paper? Did I pronounce it right washi you did washi um I just inherited that with my wife uh she um she like me has had always been an urbanite. we had always lived in big cities. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, and I, but I later lived in Manhattan and in Los Angeles and West Palm Beach, Florida. And she pretty much grew up most of her life in Tokyo. Uh, and she I, she lived in Nagoya a little bit. She'd always lived in big cities. But when we um, rekindled our conversations, she had actually gone through a life change of her own. She had gone through a program through the Japanese government where she came to the the Japanese countryside to be an apprentice to you know the the Japanese government has all of these programs to maintain this this cultural heritage uh you know there's not a lot of Japanese kids growing up wanting to be washi makers but the Japanese want to preserve this you know this art form and so yeah. they have programs that they will pay for you to go be an apprentice so that they continue on and people continue learning how to do it and she had already gone through her apprenticeship, and she was starting her – she had already be, begun her own washi business when I came over. So, you know, by extension, I became a washi maker. Do you enjoy it? And explain to our listeners just what what's involved in it. What is it? 
It is. I do enjoy it. Uh, I never in a million years could have guessed that would be my third career, you know, after teaching and and lawyering <laughs> that I make traditional Japanese paper. But uh, it, there's something going on all year round. Uh, it's winter now, so soon we will harvest the trees. So we grow kozo and mitsumata trees, and we have a, different fields. And uh, we will harvest them, and then we steam them. And uh, yeah, we we there's this big. Um, we still work with the person that she was an apprentice under, so we're kind of. Uh, um, it, it, we have a business relationship. He has his own washi, and we have our own, but we use some of the same facilities. But anyway, so we'll we'll steam our trees together, that sort of thing. And then uh, you steam them, you peel the bark off, you hang it up to dry. It's a big, long process, and uh, um, you mix it with this kind of uh, uh, root that is a kind of glue that keeps the fibers together. Um, yeah, and then you you dry it again, and uh, yeah, you make then you you sift it. Through. It's hard to explain the whole thing. Just like someone listening to this is trying to imagine what all this involves. But, you know, you you have this large tub and a, a, a frame that has a screen on it. So you, you're you sifting the, I guess you call it the pulp from the tree with that sap from the root, and it's, it creates this white film that once you dry that, it becomes a sheet of paper. <laughs> is, that, How is, is, clear, is, that clear, is that clear as mud? <laughs> How is it different from other paper? Uh, it's uh, it, that's a great question. It's much different than like paper you would go buy at Office Max. That's machine right. processed paper. This is a. Uh, it's much stronger. Um, it's one way to describe it. Like you know, you could tear a piece of copy paper just uh, no problem. This is actually kind of it's very durable because it's. It's used for a variety of purposes. Like one is it's in the, you know, uh, paper screen doors. Like you can imagine if you've seen a movie about Japanese culture, you see the sliding paper screen doors. Those still exist. I mean, we have some in our house. And so washi is, is what that paper is. And then it's also used for like calligraphy for art. Oh, and, uh, it's, it. Yeah, it's, it's used for uh, uh, lamps, lanterns, lampshades. It's used for a lot of different purposes. My wife actually makes the... What's called orizome, which is a kind of Japanese tie dyeing technique. So it's it's kind of an artistic thing, and um, but yeah, the paper itself it's just much much more durable, uh, strong paper. It's smooth on one side and a little bit rough on the other. You, you'd have to just feel it to to be able to truly understand the difference. How is your uh, your Japanese? It's pretty is it good. Fluency? <laughs> when I get the question about fluency, I, uh, you know, I, usually I, w- I want to know if the person asking that question speaks the second <laughs> speaks the second language because it makes a big difference if you understand what it's like. Um, I can think in Japanese. Uh, I can have a conversation in Japanese, no problem. Could I be a UN translator? No. Um, <laughs> Or if I watch a Japanese movie, you know, I'm catching less than 50% probably. But when I'm, when I'm having a day-to-day conversation, I'm catching 80 to 90%. Uh, 
But like a movie is uh, – people don't realize, you know, it's fast. It's got a lot of slang. You know, um, I, I, I try to give the example of like my wife who – her English is much better than my Japanese is. Um, we, we speak probably about an 80-20 mix, 80% English, 20% Japanese. And um, I mean sometimes I just take like an hour like, hey, I'm just – for the next hour, I'm just going to speak Japanese and so I can keep my practice up. But – but I, I try to explain like if if we sit down and watch a movie in English, and there's some reference to like I don't know Bear Bryant. Like I don't know if you know who that is, but um, he was a famous football coach in America. And you may have heard like, do you know who that is, yeah. Doctor Joanne? Okay. Yes. So you know you know who that is. So if you're watching Forrest Gump, and there's a there's a uh, a kind of cameo appearance of a Bear Bryant-like figure, you know kind of, even if you don't know about football, you kind of know who that is, right? But a Japanese person is going to have no idea. They're going to have zero idea who that is. Well, it's the same if I watch a Japanese movie. Like, there are going to be things that are referenced that my wife Haruko is going to catch, but I'm going to have no idea what they're talking about. I get it. so okay. <laughs> do you share the same philosophy with your wife in terms of life, in terms of Zen, in terms of um, everything you talked about earlier? And yes, uh, but although I think she would call, <clears throat> excuse me, I think she would call herself a Shintoist more than a Buddhist. But neither one of us would claim that those are actually religions. That you know, religion is not seen in the same way in, in the west we we see it we see it as like the religions as being competing things like you're either a christian or you're jewish or you're a muslim or something but here shinto shrines exist alongside buddhist temples and they, and there's no feeling of competitiveness or that you you can't you've got to have one you have to choose one or the other but yeah in terms of it. like yeah, and in terms of like uh, you know mindfulness and being present, yes, yeah, she's totally in the same mind as as I am on that. And that's important, right? <laughs> oh yeah, of course. I think so. So, to help our listeners understand a little bit more about how to access that kind of mindfulness, that kind of focusing on now being, you know, really being more in the we mode rather than the I mode, because I think all of that you spoke about earlier, Mark, is really important, and I think we here in the United States need to know more. Hmm. Um, you know, I I mean, I, I could point people in the direction of, like, where I would, I would suggest, like, reading, like, uh, Eckhart Tolle, or um, there's a great book called The Tao of Pooh, which is like how Winnie the Pooh is, and it's a book about Taoism, not Zen, but it it it, it offers a great simple explanation uh, to that kind of mindset. But even with if you didn't want to do a bunch of homework and a bunch of reading, uh, I, the key word you said was practice, and uh, it just takes practice to. Um, because our minds are going to think about the past. They are going to think about the future. Mind does too. But to just bring it back as, as often as you can to the present moment and realize like 
the present is all you ever really have. You just have right now. And, uh, and not only that, to appreciate the little things in life. It, it sounds kind of corny, but like, you know, stop and admire a flower. <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous. No, it doesn't I'm a 47-year-old <laughs> no, man from Alabama talking about admiring a flower. But yeah, you know, stop and look at the intricacies of, you know, a flower. <laughs> one Feel day, the wind. Right. One day Go I got a, I was walking and just turned around and there were all these butterflies on this tree. And the whole yeah. tree, Mark, looked illuminated. It was such a magical moment. And I thought if I hadn't been in that moment, hadn't looked at at that tree, I would have missed the, that beauty and and all of yeah. that miracle kind of thing that, that I experienced. So I, I totally get it, and I think it's so important. And it enhances our lives when we do. It does, because, you know, you're – you're walking around and you're worried about the whatever project at work that's the you got a deadline coming this Friday and then you see those butterflies and you're like, you know what? Those butterflies don't care one bit about my deadline this Friday. <laughs> and you realize that like life is bigger than your you know, your work deadline or whatever that's stressing you out and you re- and you look around and you see nature and you see all that's going on and that you know, your problems aren't as big as you perceive them to be sometimes. That's true. I saved two, I hope, I think I did save two worms yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. We were in the middle of the street and I do my morning walks and I thought, you know, because when it rains, sometimes they come out from the earth and and wandering around and I thought if you stay in the street, you know, these cars are going to be rolling over you. So Mm. I put them back into the earth. Hopefully they they survived. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I think, you know, and another buzzword that gets mentioned a lot that's important is is gratitude. I I know that it gets thrown around and overused, but it's important, and I I start my day and I end my day with it. You know, I I wake up and I'm like, my my wife's like, "How are you in a good mood every time you wake up?" I'm like, "I'm just happy to be alive." I mean, I, right. I, I there's no guarantee when I go to sleep. There's no guarantee I'm going to wake up. So when I wake up, I'm like, "Yay!" It's like Christmas morning every day. I'm alive, and when I go to bed, I think about what am I thankful for that happened today like instead of me stressing out about whatever you know i got the pod my podcast due or i got to do editing on it instead of me lying in bed thinking about that stuff i think about like ah it's so nice that i've got a roof over my head a refrigerator that works and you know (laughs) i feel safe where i am there's so much to be grateful for and when you end your day and you begin your day like that the middle part gets a lot easier and I'm totally in accord with you because I think it's so important to recognize that we have this moment. This and if, and if we didn't really even celebrate this moment, no matter how challenging it could be, it may be gone. And the fact that you and I are having a conversation, that our brains are working, that we can <laughs> laugh, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever it is, connect in some way, those are incredible gifts 
to be thankful for, and that's important. So uh, um, I totally agree with you. So tell Mark Reed how our listeners can get a hold of you, find out more about your incredible podcast, and learn more about Zen living and <laughs> Well. Uh- yeah, and then sandwiches. Uh, there, actually, the show's not about sandwiches at all. I named it that because I just wanted people to – I didn't want them to look at it as another one of those boring Zen, zen uh, podcasts. And uh, so, yeah, there's a little bit of Zen, but there's a lot of sandwich. And what I mean by that is I cast the net pretty wide in terms of people I interview or topics I cover on my own. And uh, people can find it on – uh, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, everywhere. Uh, you just type in Zen Sandwich. It's uh, spelled the funny way, S-A-M-M-I-C-H. Um, or you just go to zensandwich.com, and it's always there. And if you want to follow me on social media, I'm present on four of them, but I'm active mostly on LinkedIn. I, I, I check in on Facebook every now and then uh, and Twitter, X, whatever you call it these days, and uh, Instagram. But I don't, I don't have much of a following in those places. But on LinkedIn, you know, that's where I'm really active. Beautiful. What would you like to leave our listeners with, Mark? Uh, huh, that's a, uh, another great question. You know, I was asked once. I was asked once, uh, what, what's my, what would be my message? What would be my final message to the world, or something like that. And what I came up with on the spot, and then it's, I, I, I still agree with it. I think it still would be my final message, is that uh, if you feel like you are lacking something, if you feel like you're – and whether that's happiness or you just feel emptiness or whatever, um, the way to find that fullness – or that happiness, or whatever it is, that void, the way to find it, it's, it's paradoxical. The way you find it is to give, mm. to, give to, uh, to give to other people. When you, you know, if you're, not, if you're feeling blue one day, and we all do, look, even the Zen guy, I, I feel blue sometimes, right? But you know what I do when I, when I feel down? I acknowledge it. I accept it. Okay, I'm not feeling great today. And then, so I accept that, but then I think, okay, well, then what could I do today to make my wife happy? I'm going to go buy her a card or some flowers or something. Or I'm going to write my old high school buddy I haven't talked to in six months. I'm just going to write him a message saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. I care about you. Uh, what's going on in your life? You know, I, How can I make somebody else happy? And when I do that and when I go through the steps and the motions to do that, I don't feel sad anymore. Give to, to get I love the message, and I believe in it, too. And I think when we spread the joy and happiness, like you said, Mark, we feel good about it. And it, and it doesn't take that much. Look at your right. hat. That's the most beautiful hat. I love your smile. Because I do this when I'm walking in the street. I love your smile. Your dog's tail is so, I mean, and people <laughs> smile and laugh and feel joy. And it's such a gift, and it feels wonderful for them and it may only be a moment, and, and like you said, it makes us feel good and satisfied yeah. and, and whole. So 
that's a beautiful message to leave. And Mark, indeed, I appreciate you and all that you do. And thank you Likewise. for being on life. And <laughs> my pleasure, anytime. Thanks. Oh, good. We'll do it again, but not at 2 a.m. <laughs> in the morning for you. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Only for Take you. Care. I would. <laughs> okay, thank you. What were you going to say? Uh, no, I was just going to say, only for you. I, I don't do the two. I don't do these two AMs for most people, but I'll do it for you. Well, thank you so much. You are a gift not only to me but to so many people. So thank you so much for being Mark Reed. Have a blessed day. You too. You've been listening to the Power Your Life Radio Show with host and author Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the upbeat show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit DocWhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.